The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. How does a young man go from being completely sane to a cold-blooded murderer in only the matter of a few months? And then we travel to jolly old England to take a look at the story of a young girl hanging out in her garden. She was hoping to simply smell some flowers or sing along with a blue jay sitting in a tree. Instead, she found herself face to face with something that would change her life. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, James Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. My, my, I'm a little sick. I'm a little under the weather. I think that's how most people get this time of year. But it's still, I'm having a great day, right? Still, I'm going to talk about this guy who brutally murdered somebody and then a girl who had a life-changing paranormal event. Uh, you know, that's fun, despite the turmoil in my own tummy. But someone who never makes me sick to my stomach walking into Dead Rabbit Command is one of our Thanksgiving livestream contributors. Everyone give it up for Callum Frazier. Woohoo! yeah, come on in. Callum is bringing in a bottle of Tums. And, and a garbage can for me to throw up in. Callum, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. You guys can't support the show financially. I totally understand. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. I just got all of my Spotify results. And you guys, you guys, this audience is in the top 5% of all podcast audiences as far as sharing this show with your friends. I got that statistic today. That's amazing. Top 5% of all podcasts on Spotify, you guys share this show with others. And I really, really do appreciate that. I really, really do. Callum, I'm going to go ahead and hook you up to the hair hang glider. Everyone grab onto his ankles as he jumps off the highest point of Dead Rabbit Command. Let's glide all the way out to Italy. And first off, I want to give a shout out to Fabio Nurbon, a longtime supporter of the show, longtime guy who's had his name mispronounced multiple times on the show. He sent the story over to me. It's a fascinating story, so I really, really appreciate it. Let's go back in time to summer of 2022. So not far at all, right? We're in June, July. This is what, four or five months ago? This story starts. We're in the town of Trevisio. We're in the town of Trevisio in Italy, and there's this young dude, this 24-year-old man named Ricardo Di Felice. And Ricardo was just a normal guy. He was just a normal dude living in Trevisio. He lived with his mom and his dad. His younger brother had moved away, but this was a good family unit for these guys. And then the news report describes this this is this is how I would hope to be described to something tragic ever happened to me they were described as quote good people with a passion for cats 
Now, <laughs> I do realize that this was an Italian news article that I had to translate to English, so it's possible there's a translation error in there. But, I mean, listen, man, if the last thing you're remembered for is loving cats, that's dope, right? That's pretty good. <laughs> Jason, I know there's way better things to be known for. Helping orphans and building libraries, but loving cats is up there, guys. But anyways, Ricardo's living at home with his parents, hanging out with his friends. Life is good. But his best friend said the summer of 2022 is where everything changed. He goes, Ricardo was a totally normal guy. You never would have thought anything weird about him. And I've known him since I was a kid. We grew up together. He was totally fine. But this summer, everything changed. He begins to exhibit mental problems. And by the time summer ended and fall began, Ricardo was convinced his life was a television show. He suffers what's known as the Truman Show delusion, or the Truman delusion. We did an episode on it a long time ago, way long time ago. I'll put it in the show notes. But it is, if you've seen the movie The Truman Show, Jim Carrey is a guy who is raised on the set of a television series, but he doesn't know he's in a television show. It seems like it would be a boring show with him as a baby, right? It would just be him pooping in his pants. But it would get compelling as he got older and he saw this little boy. It's the ultimate reality show, right? You're actually watching someone live their life. It's recorded 24 hours a day. The set is a whole town. Everyone else is an actor except for Truman and he doesn't know that he's trapped in the show. And this movie has actually sparked the Truman delusion or Truman show delusion. There are people who believe that they too are also trapped in a television show. And they begin looking around for cameras. And if they can't find them, that's just proof, right? That the cameras are so well hidden. In the Truman Show, he doesn't really know anything's up until a lighting fixture falls from the heavens and smashes into the ground in front of him. And even then, they're like, oh, that was a satellite. That was a satellite that came down. But then he starts to kind of piece stuff together that he might not be living in the real world. And it's interesting because we do know that mental illness tends to track with the highest level of technology. In the 1950s, people believed that the Russians were beaming radio waves through metal fillings in people's teeth. Because the radio waves was the highest level of technology. Nowadays, the paranoid delusions involve things like miniaturized cameras, constant surveillance, being trapped in a reality show, being trapped in the Matrix... And it's always interesting to think, where will madness be in the next 100, 200 years as technology continues to grow? The delusions will change. If this guy had been born in medieval times, he probably would have thought that a local witch cast a curse on him. If he was born in the 1950s, he would have thought that he was being hunted by the KGB. But he's 24 years old, so he believes that he's trapped on the set of the Truman Show or... He is, it's basically, he's not an extra in the Truman Show, that he is being surveilled. He's constantly being videotaped. Somebody else is watching his life unfold. He begins to become incredibly paranoid, which is what you would expect from somebody who thought there were hidden cameras everywhere. If you showed him being like, hey, Ricardo, what's up? I bought you this zinger, this hostess zinger. You want to eat it? You would assume that your friend isn't actually giving you a delicious treat. 
you would assume your friend was doing product placement. You would assume your friend got some sort of ad deal from Hostess. Hey, you want to try some Denison's chili? Or how about a Diet Sprite? People don't normally talk in brand names like that. But you would think that, man, this guy must have a brand deal. He begins to become paranoid. He begins to become physically violent. He's attacking people. Now he's like, no, I don't want your zingers. I don't want your Diet Sprite. Get away from me. You're trying to sell me on that stuff. Okay, to be fair, there's nothing in the newspaper that said he thought people were doing brand deals. I'm, I'm, I'm adding that as an example. I don't know why he was physically attacking these people. Possibly because he was going mentally insane. He ends up becoming physically violent. He ends up fighting with his best friend, so they actually stop hanging out. It would be tragic, right? And you wouldn't know. I mean, we, me and you, we've done research on this stuff. We know about the world of the weird. We, if, if our friends started talking that they thought they were in a television show, we would know that this is a, while not common delusion, it's not rare either. But a normal person whose best friend starts saying, I think I'm trapped in a TV show, I don't think a normal person, it would freak you out. It would freak us out too, but it would freak you out. You would have no sense of context. We are explorers in the land of the strange. So we would be able to classify this as, oh yeah, this is actually a documented mental illness. We may have been able to intervene. I'm not not blaming this guy's friend because he doesn't listen to the podcast or spend all his days reading about weird stuff. But you know what I mean? What would you do if you had no context to put this in and your friend started saying that he was being filmed everywhere? You wouldn't know what to do. You'd just be like, bro, chill out. With this ice-cold classic Coke. Ah, refreshing. Summer turns to fall and he starts to go through this delusion that he is being filmed. He's the star of a reality show that no one else can see. But he knows that it's happening. He ends up losing his job. He ends up becoming suicidal. And by November of 2022, so really just a couple weeks ago is when this story hits the culmination, he finally decides it's time to see a psychologist. It's time to get this checked out. Something's not right. Something's not right. And I don't know how much of that was strictly Ricardo and how much of that was his parents and everyone else in the community, but it was the director of the show. He's like, oh, I got Fraser Crane lined up for a guest episode. He decides, I need to go see a psychologist. The decision's been made to get him treatment. His behavior is still becoming very erratic. And on November 15th, 2022, so just a couple weeks ago from recording this episode, the family's getting ready to settle in for the night. Ricardo goes to his bedroom. His mom goes to her bedroom. And the father who normally does sleep with the mom, decides to stay up late this night and watch some television set. His father, Francesco Di Felice, a 56-year-old veteran, says, I'm going to stay up, watch some television. Catch you later. It's about four in the morning. Now we're at December 15th. Ricardo runs into his parents' bedroom and his mom is deep asleep. And he starts screaming out, Dad's dead! Dad's dead! That's going to get you up, right? That's, I mean, I don't care how deep of a sleeper you are. You're awake. When someone runs in screaming that, 
the mom woke up and she sees her son standing there. Ricardo's just screaming up, dad's dead, dad's dead. And she gets out of bed to go check on him and Ricardo won't let her leave the room. I don't want you to see it. I don't want you to see it. But dad's dead. Ah! And she wants to see it. She has no idea what's going on. Her son's nuts. Her son's nuts. So maybe he's hallucinating it. Or, you know, that'd be the best case scenario. That you go down there and and the dad's sitting on the couch watching Hogan's Heroes. That it was just all hallucination. But she wants to get out. She wants to go see her husband. Ricardo won't let her out of the room. And Ricardo actually barricades her in the room. Now, at some point, the police are called. I don't know if it doesn't specifically say that Ricardo called the police or the mom called the police or neighbors called the police because there's a guy next door screaming, Dad's dead, Dad's dead. The police show up, and when they come into the house, what they find is they find Francesco Di Felice had been killed in a both savage and lightning-fast attack. Ricardo had taken a weightlifting bar, like a dumbbell bar, a little handheld pipe. And while his father was sleeping on the couch, he just fell asleep out there watching television, he began beating his head in with this pipe and began stabbing his dad in the neck with a kitchen knife. And the attack was so fast Francesco didn't even wake up. He died in his sleep as his son was pummeling him with both a pipe and stabbing him with a knife in the neck. Now, Ricardo has pretty much confessed to this crime. I don't know what what libel laws are like in Italy, but he's pretty much confessed. He made a statement to the police saying that he didn't mean to do it. That he didn't mean to do it. He didn't mean to bash his dad's head in and stab him several times. He didn't mean to do it. But that would imply that he did confess to doing it. But then he changed his story. He goes, I didn't mean to do it. And then later on he told the police, listen, my dad was trying to hurt me. My dad was trying to hurt me. And then he added later on during this police investigation to ask him these questions. First off, he said, I didn't mean to do it. And then the second time he goes, well, he was trying to hurt me. And then later he added, my mom was trying to hurt me too. And I don't think he meant in the sense that it was self-defense. I mean, his father was asleep in the sense that he saw his father and his mother as part of this conspiracy, that they were part of this Truman Show setup as well. And that's really chilling, right? Because obviously if... It sounds like had the situation played out slightly differently, he would have killed his mother as well. Because he also saw her as part of this faceless organization that was trying to harm him. And it's terrifying. It's an absolutely terrifying story. Longtime listeners of the podcast know people snapping, people going crazy, just out of the blue scares me. Now, on a snapometer, this one's a little less scary. Because he went crazy over a matter of months. To me, it's more spooky if you're sitting there and then your friend's totally normal and then he starts 
like stabbing you, right? I mean, listen, it's creepy if he threatens you for four years before he does it, or he does it right away. I still don't want it to happen to anybody, but like people who snap, people who seem completely normal up until that night, and then they begin murdering their family because that happens too. It's still. I'm not saying that this story, I'm not saying this story isn't creepy, or I don't find it tragic in any sort of way. But I th- that most likely, like mental illness for young men, this is the right age for it to start. Like it's like the nineteen, it's like nineteen to thirties when we see things like schizophrenia, things like these deep mental illnesses just pop up in young men, and it's awful. And I mean, obviously, he's not trapped in the Truman Show. Obviously, that is just a delusion. It would have been great had he got some help early, but at the end of the day, like. He didn't, and he murdered somebody, and he was probably planning on murdering other people. There's another version of this story, right, where he didn't run into the bedroom screaming, Dad's dead, Dad's dead. He ran into the bedroom, and he killed his mother as well. But for whatever reason, murdering, luckily, right, for whatever reason, and we're glad that this happened, after he murdered his dad, that part, we're not glad that it happened, but after he murdered his father, he had some sense of clarity. He became lucid. Whatever delusion he was going through for a moment in time, he realized what he did was so horrific, he ran upstairs and told his mom, like, snapped out of it. And he didn't try to murder her as well. Terrifying story, though, and it goes in, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, too, these people who feel, the Truman Show is kind of the offshoot of the gang-stalking thing, that there's this huge conspiracy against them. I feel like we, and we've been covering a lot of these. I don't want to just cover these, right? I try to space them out. This one was just sent to me a couple days ago, but I think that the gang-stalking conspiracy theory has the most potential to cause people to become violent. People aren't really going to blow up buildings because of flat earth. They're not going to blow up buildings because 9-11 was an inside job unless they're, unless they're testing out their theories. But you know what I mean? There's a lot of conspiracy theories out there that don't cause people to, to go nuts. I mean, the conspiracy theory itself may be nuts, but I, I'd say most conspiracy theories... Even if you thought space was fake and NASA was a satanic organization controlled by the Illuminati to make us not believe in God, that's a pretty popular conspiracy theory out there. Those people aren't out there blowing up space shuttles. Those people aren't out there shooting, assassinating NASA scientists. Gang stalking, we are starting to see, really, story after story after story after story of people who believe this and taking action. The reptilian one we do get, that one gets kind of violent as well, but, you know, that reptilians are taking over the planet, because the idea is, well, I can kill him, it's just a reptilian. That guy who killed his two daughters, what was it, like two years ago, because he thought they were reptilian foot soldiers. So, yeah, we do have that crisscross. I think the Venn diagram between conspiracy theorists and violent people isn't that connected, but there is a connection. And unfortunately, we get stories like this. Mental illness leading into the conspiracy theory. Thought he was on the Truman Show. And irony of all ironies, he's going to be in the prison system where he will be monitored 24 hours a day. So if he wasn't in the Truman Show before, he's definitely put himself in that position now. Callum, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carboner Copter. We are leaving behind Italy. Fly us all the way out to jolly old England. 
There's this old saying. I don't even know if it's a saying. It might have just been a movie quote. And the saying goes, they should have sent a poet. They should have sent a poet. And I've heard it used in the conjunction with astronauts, right? Because astronauts, listen, man, like, they're cool. But they're an astronaut is if you took a jock and a nerd and they had a baby. And it's an astronaut. It's an astronaut. You didn't know that? That's what happens at the end of She's All That. Little astronaut's born. If you have a jock and a nerd, you have someone who, like Neil Armstrong, take him for example. I know he's a super old man. He might even not be alive anymore. But you take, like, now nowadays you look at him and you're like, dude, there's just old people. Those people are neither jocks nor nerds. Generally, though, you take some of their peak physical fitness because they make them spin around really fast in that cyclotron thing. And then they got to be smart. So as they're spinning around, they have to be like, oh, if I throw up now, the velocity will be eight times the center of gravity. I better hold it on my vomit until this stops. You got to be able to do like advanced math because it's not like you're just hitting buttons and flying around. You got to figure all this stuff out. But you also don't, you can't get like super nerd up there. You can't get some poindexter because then like if something goes wrong, <laughs> if an alien attacks a space shuttle, you want him to be strong enough to punch him and go, get out of here. So that's the type of people they send up there, right? Well, nowadays it seems like they are all a bunch of nerds, but I'm talking classic astronauts. I'm talking the square-jawed dude who was, like, kicking the moon. They're like, Neil, stop that. You're sending it out of orbit. I don't care. I'm a jock. What I'm saying is that we got nothing but nerds up there today. It used to be nerds at peak physical fitness, but there's no poets, And this idea that you can send someone up there who is able to triangulate a star moving past a meteor as an asteroid is jumping up and down and go, well, don't hit none of that stuff. But they can't write eloquently. They can't put down what they're seeing. They're viewing things that... no human has ever viewed, right? How many, if you look at the total population of the world since the beginning of time, the amount of people who have been in space is what? Like at this point, maybe a couple hundred. That includes like, just like people floating around the Russian space station. <laughs> let me in, let me in. They're like, no, not until you finish your green beans. How am I supposed to finish my green beans if I'm floating outside? You know what I mean? It's been such a small percentage. And the idea is if you sent a poet up there, someone who could... This this is going somewhere. <laughs> this is totally going somewhere. I feel this intro might be longer than the story itself. When you take a poet, when you take a wordsmith, when you have someone who knows how to translate the unknowable and the unseeable into words that humans can understand, and not only understand, because when Neil Armstrong's up there and he goes, the moon is super dusty, I get what he's talking about. But if you put a poet up there, he could tell us exactly how dusty it is. Does the dust look like gossamer web trailing across the Arabian Peninsula? Or is it the same dust I might find in the background of Aunt Matilda's house covering her precious moment figurines? Now, those are just examples off the top of my head. I know I'm not a poet either. But you get what I mean? 
We sent scientists up there. We should have sent a poet. So let's do, <laughs> let me tell you what the story is because this is fascinating to me because what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the story of Hillary Mantel. She's an award-winning author. She's passed away now. She passed away a couple of years ago. Um, Dame Hillary Mantel. She's been knighted by the Queen of England. Very, very famous, very beloved author. She wrote historical fiction and short stories and articles and things like that. She's a wordsmith. And when you have someone who experiences a paranormal event, they can explain it in a certain way, but I want to read this to you. I very rarely read things verbatim, but this, I think, is awesome because we have someone who spent her entire life writing. And when it came time to write her memoirs, she explains the most life-changing event that she had ever gone through. And it happened when she was seven years old. Let's take a look at this. She starts off by saying, let me give a little bit of context here too. She starts off mentioning the location Broscroft. That is a residential neighborhood in Derbyshire, England. So let's take a look at this. Quote, I am seven and I'm in the yard at Broscroft. I am playing near the house, near the back door. Something makes me look up. Some shift of the light. My eyes are drawn to a spot beyond the yard. Beyond its gate. In the long garden. It is, let us say, some fifty yards away, among coarse grass, weeds, and bracken. I can't see anything. Not exactly see. Except the faintest movement. A ripple. A disturbance of the air. I can sense a spiral. A lazy buzzing swirl like flies. But it is not flies. There is nothing to see. There is nothing to smell. There is nothing to hear. But its motion, its insolent shift, makes my stomach heave. I can sense, at the periphery, the limit of all my senses. I can sense the dimensions of the creature. It is as high as a child of two. Its depth is a foot 15 inches. The air stirs around it, invisibly. I'm cold and rinsed by nausea. I cannot move. I'm shaking as if pinned to the moment. I cannot wretch my gaze away. I'm looking at a space occupied by nothing. It has no edges, no mass, no dimension, no shape except the formless. It moves. I beg it, stay away. Stay away! Within the space of a thought, it is inside me and has set up a sick resonance within my bones and in all the cavities of my body. I pluck my eyes away. It is like plucking them out of my head. Grace runs away from me. 
runs out of my body like liquid from a corpse. I move from the spot. My body weighs heavy. My feet have to be hauled up from the ground as if they were sticking in gore. I walk out of the sunlight, through the glass place, into the enclosed dimness of the cold kitchen. I say, Mom, I want to come in now. Can I do some drawing? I see myself through her eyes, sweat running from me, my cheeks falling in, my chest heaving to control the thick taste of blood and sick that's in my mouth. I pray, let her not look at me. Yes, she says sweetly, her back turned. Of course you can. It is the best yes I have ever heard. It is the best yes I have ever heard in the course of my life. If I had been sent out again into the secret garden, I think I would have died. I think my heart would have stopped. She wraps this up. She talks about a, there's a um, old comic novel is what it's called back in the 1930s called Cold Comfort Farm. And one of the characters in it is called Ada Doom or Aunt Ada Doom. And she keeps going on and on in the book about how she saw something nasty in the woodshed. They never reveal what the nasty thing was, but Aunt Ada Doom says when she was a child, she saw something nasty in the woodshed. And this is a, and this novel is a comedy, right? And so she does kind of laugh it off. Uh, She says, she finishes off by saying, quote, When I grow up, I laugh at this. I say I'm like Aunt Ada Doom. I saw something nasty in the woodshed. She explains that when she's talking about this with other people, she has a laugh about it. Like, what did I see? What did I see? Just like Aunt Ada Doom. But she finishes this up. She goes, quote, What was it anyway? I don't know. Something intangible had come for me to try its luck. Some formless, borderless evil that came to try to make me despair. When I'm on my own, and I think about it privately, then I scarcely laugh at all. It's a fascinating story. It's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a story of this formless evil, this unknowable darkness that's in the light of day. It's standing first outside the garden and then it's in the garden. And she's describing, I just love the way that she describes this. And, and it's interesting because there is no description of it, right? She can't see it. She can't smell it. She can't touch it. But then you also have dimensions given, right? It was the size of a two-year-old child. It was about a foot and 15 inches, some 50 yards away. So it's just such a fascinating story. And to have someone who can write so eloquently explain something that is impossible, I wanted to share that with you. That's not the only reason why I wanted to share it with you, because we're going to talk a little bit more about this next week. 
Hillary goes on to say, she write, the memoir is called Giving Up the Ghost. It's not just writing about paranormal stuff, but she's open about this, which I love. I love it when people are open about these experiences. She'll talk about it in interviews, and she said, had this not have happened to me, had this afternoon, really only minutes had passed, right? She goes, I think I would have been a different person. I think I would have been a much more rational person. And I could 100% see how that is, right? There is a large contingent of us, and I, I definitely fell into it, that believed in the paranormal long before they had any paranormal events. I was a child hearing about demonically possessed people, and we lived in a, a, a haunted house. We lived in a haunted house at the time, not one of the fun haunted houses. It wasn't a spirit Halloween store. And then, you know, I would hear, you know, my dad was a Southern Baptist minister. We would hear from him and other ministers and deacons about demons that had been interacting in and around the church. But I, and the weird stuff happened. It wasn't until I was 18 when I actually heard a ghost. And then throughout my 20s, which again is the sign when people, especially young men, have psych psychotic problems, I began to see ghosts. I thought I was going nuts when I started seeing ghosts everywhere and shadow men everywhere. I mean, everywhere. But here I am, and I'm not nuts. So you have people who believe in the paranormal just because it's really cool, right? And then some of them never have a paranormal experience. I've had several throughout my life and continue to have them. But to have one at seven and to have one that's so frightening. My buddy Steve, when he was a little kid, he got chased down the hallway of his house by a ghost stagecoach. But, I mean, that's terrifying. Actually, I was going to use it as, as an example. So that's not that bad. That's actually terrifying. That's a bad example. But my point being is, let's say that you lived in a house, you're a seven-year-old kid, and you were throwing toys down the hallway because your imaginary friend wanted to play with your toys. That's what we talked about on yesterday's episode. That's not as terrifying as standing out in your garden and seeing an unexplainable evil. And she didn't just see it, remember? It entered her body. She saw it, and then it was instantly on top of her, or inside of her. That's another thing we see in the world of paranormal. These things don't move normally. Sure, some of them walk down hallway, or ride ghost stagecoaches down a hallway, but a blink of the eye. I've seen that, too. I mean, you're looking at something from across the room, and then it is on you. It is the weirdest thing in the world, because our, we don't measure distance in time like that. Even the fastest man, if you're standing there and... Usain Bolt is running towards you. He will tackle you. He'll get you before you can get out of the way. But you intrinsically know that he's moving according to the laws of physics. He's just moving faster than you can move out of the way. But that's not... I mean, you're looking at something and then it's on top of you. And in this case, inside of her. So I just think it's interesting when you do have such a traumatic metaphysical experience early in life, it would change the way you looked at things. And even... You may not have, think it's a jolly good time to sit around and talk about ghosts, right? Because you've seen something beyond ghosts, beyond the paranormal, something truly malignant. And I also wanted, because this is where we're going to talk about on next week, I wanted to end it like this. Hillary never made this connection, to be fair. Hillary never made this connection, but Hillary, she did have another paranormal experience, at least one other one that I saw. She saw her father's ghost walking down the stairs one day. And honestly, I think that one predated the the creature in the garden. 
But see, the, the seeing her father walk down the stairs would give you comfort that there is life after death. What was this thing? And it changed her life. She goes, listen, I would have been a more rational person. I would have approached the world differently had I not gone out in the garden on this afternoon. It's that simple. She also had some pretty serious health problems. When she was in her 20s, she was sick all the time. She was sick constantly, and she was diagnosed with having a mental illness. But she wasn't mentally ill. She had what we know of today as endometriosis. Endometriosis. I have friends who have suffered from this. What it is, is it's, if I can describe it correctly, it's basically the uterine wall. It's the material that's supposed to be inside the uterus is outside the uterus. And it's covering up the fallopian tubes and the eggs. It's extremely painful. You have very, very terrible periods. You're sick all the time. And it's something that can be diagnosed nowadays. It's something that can be corrected nowadays. But the way to fix it is to have your uterus removed, have a hysterectomy. Well, Hillary, she was diagnosed as being mentally ill because she was complaining about an illness that they couldn't figure out what it was. They put her on antipsychotics because she wasn't psychotic and she's on antipsychotics. She became psychotic. She went nuts from the medication. She finally lost all faith in the medical profession, right? She's like, you guys don't know what you're doing. She got off the medication and she just goes, I guess I'm just going to be sick all the time. She ended up in Botswana. She seemed to be a pretty well-established traveler. She ended up in Botswana at one point and there she was diagnosed with endometriosis. And they performed what she calls, and I think this is pretty apt, a medically induced menopause. So when they corrected this, when they gave her a hysterectomy, she was no longer able to have children after that. And that was something that she had wanted to have. Now, apparently, a something that can help with this, we know this now, something that can help with this condition is giving birth, is getting pregnant and carrying a child, can actually help help this, help get the... I don't know the science behind it, but I, I, I like I said, I have... A couple friends who have suffered from it. But it's a fascinating story. She never connected the ghost in the garden to her unknowable medical troubles. As far as I know, she at least never made that public, as far as I know. But was there a connection? And this is where we get into that really interesting slash very, very controversial thing, like how much of illness is caused by spirits. I think, honestly, a very, 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 very small amount are. I think I'm sick right now. I think my stomach hurts because, I don't know, but I don't think it's because I brought a cursed basketball home. (laughs) We'll talk more about the cursed basketball later. I don't think it's cursed, but it's been weird since I brought that basketball home, but I don't think it's because of the basketball. But I couldn't say for sure that every, I couldn't say for sure out of every person who's sick, all 8 billion people at any given time, that at least 10 of them aren't caused by a ghost. Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. She probably had this. That that was, I had to say all that stuff for the skeptics, but you and I know 
The reason why you have a runny nose is there's a ghost in your boogers right now. I don't think much illness, but it'd also be foolish for someone who believes in the paranormal to say it's none. To say that physical health and the spirit world are completely unrelated. Because we do know that mental health in the spirit world can be related. There's a lot of dark spirits out there that want to drive you mad, want to push you to the point of depression, want to have you walking around in a stupor. So it could be. And now we're getting a double-barreled attack. One, her life would have been more rational. She would have approached the world with a different lens, a mentally different lens, had she not seen this thing in the garden. And there is a chance, however slight it is, that her ability to have a happy life physically as well, to not spend years and years and years sick and be put on antipsychotics and all this stuff, that that also could have been caused by the formless evil in the garden. And next week, we're going to take a look at a story that takes this theory that the darkness that surrounds us can also be sometimes a cause of the illness because we're going to meet a family that is so tormented by a demon that peeks into the bedroom while they're deep asleep. You wake up and see this demon watching you from the darkness of the hallway. This demon is so powerful that its goal is to use physical sicknesses to turn the family into demons themselves. We'll cover that next week on Dead Rabbit Radio. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash Radio. TikTok is at Dead Rapper Radio. Dead Rapper Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm so glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys.